This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. Tonight, I feel is especially relevant because it's something that every single one of us deals with. It's something that is really becoming an epidemic in our culture, and it's the topic of anxiety, the topic of worry. And what do we do with anxiety? What do we do with worry? What does Jesus have to say about it? And, uh, and what's amazing is that as much as we struggle with anxiety today, just for a second, imagine what anxiety must have felt like uh, for an ancient Palestinian Jew, right? Your entire uh, welfare and well-being was probably based on agriculture or fishing, things that were completely out of your control, constantly being faced with famine and drought. Uh, your government system, if you think ours is bad or you're displeased with ours, try being under the impressive boot of Rome, uh, where your taxations were about 80 or 90 percent, which meant that you were essentially a slave. And yes, you had some freedoms here and there, but this was your life. You didn't know if you were going to live the next year, whether that was because of the Roman regime or whether it was because of disease, uh, that they had no idea how to treat. This was just your life. The, the average age at that time was around 40 years old. This was, your, this was your world. A large percentage of children did not live past their first birthday. And so talk about a, a, a kind of a context for anxiety to be rampant. We think it's, it's increasing in our world, which it is. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is something that his audience would have been absolutely uh, enthralled with. Like, how do you not worry? And the things that Jesus says are bold and challenging, but I believe that if we listen to what he's saying, there's so much that we have uh, to hear today. Because the, the whole series is called The Art of Human Flourishing. What does Jesus have to say about what it means to flourish in his kingdom? Which is essentially the Sermon on the Mount. He's moving us from what? Outward conformity to inward transformation. He's moving us from a place of just doing the right things and being religious or moral into someone who's completely different. And I can't think of a better way to judge that based on anxiety and worry. How, how, are you, how is your internal being? How is your soul? Because the, the anxious tendencies we have as human beings are actually not all bad. They were probably given, your wiring to be anxious was actually given to you as a gift initially because there were moments, especially in primitive society, where you needed that boost of adrenaline. You needed that like, oh my goodness, I might be eaten by a wild animal right now. Or you, there was actually a gift that helped you survive. But what's happened is as it's become more and more convenient and comfortable to survive, that anxiety has not left. It's actually increased. Uh, and so, uh, and, and so it, all, something that used to be a gift has now turned into a problem. And so this, this week I had a, a sudden burst of anxiety uh, when was, I think it was Thursday night. Jen's like, hey, come, kids, come look out the window. And we go and we look at our side door and there is this massive raccoon on top of our dumpster, and I'm immediately overcome with rage because this raccoon has been getting into our trash can, ripping open bags, and about once or twice a week, I'm cleaning up just garbage in my backyard, thanks to this raccoon, and I'm looking at this demon animal, and he's just there, and, and so all my kids are like, oh, it's crazy, it's kind of scary, and, and so the, and my, we have this 10-pound dog named Francis, right? And she's this little white chihuahua Italian greyhound thing, and she is she thinks she can, like, take anyone, right? And so she's going nuts 
just running around in circles. The, the hair on the back of her spine is just standing straight up, and she's like snarling, like, let me at him, right? Like, put me in, coach. And I'm like, whoa, chill, Francis. And so we like kind of go around our, our, our business, and we kind of forget about it. But she just keeps barking, keeps barking. And Jen's like, well, maybe she like needs to go to the bathroom or something. I'm like, probably not, but, you know. But then I was thinking, like, well, I wonder if she'll scare the raccoon away. You know, keep in mind, the raccoon's about four times as big. Um, but I, I'm thinking, like, yeah, like, the, the dog's going to bark, the raccoon's going to run, it's going to be great. So I'm like, I'm like, yeah, so I'm like, well, just in case anything happens, I'll take, like, a broom with me. And uh, so I let her out the side door, and she doesn't need to go to the bathroom at all. She just runs straight at this raccoon, and the raccoon starts to run away, but all of a sudden it turns, right? And it's like pitch black and kind of what happened. All of a sudden they just go at it. And like all of a sudden like, like these crazy raccoon sounds. Like you ever heard a raccoon sound? It's weird. And so they're like going at it. And I'm like, I just killed my dog. (laughs) Like my kids and my wife are going to be pissed. Like this is not good. They love my dog way more than I do. And so uh, sometimes more than me sometimes. But anyways, but they... I'm in this moment, I'm like, dang it, what have, what, what have I done? And so I'm like, do I like go and like try and separate? So I have this broom, so I'm like banging it on the wall. The kids come running because they hear this like ferocious fight happening. I'm yelling, like, hey, stop, stop, banging the wall. The neighbor comes out, what's going on? And my kids just start bawling. I'm like, you killed our dog. I'm like, no, I didn't. The dog was totally fine. By the way, the raccoon gets up on the on the roof and we... And, uh, and, I, and I go and I take a ball and I throw it. Totally missed because that's who I am. <laughs> and we go back inside and our entire family is just so worked up, right? Like our adrenaline is pumping. We're anxious. Like the dog's like freaked out. And we're just like on edge for the next five minutes. But except for my four-year-old, the whole night is just like a wreck. And she like is like, crying in my lap. She's like, why did God make raccoons? <laughs> Like, I don't know. Like, it's a good question. I don't know if they serve a purpose in the ecosystem. But, um, and, and there's this moment where I just realized, I'm like, I don't have many of those moments where, like, I need a burst of adrenaline. Most of the time, anxiety is simply a pain. Simply, it's there. I don't want it to be there. I don't need it to be there, but it's just there and exists. I just want to let you know before I get in this passage, this is something I've struggled with. Um, you can know this, your pastor, there's been seasons of my life, not currently, but there's been seasons in my life where I've struggled with some pretty severe anxiety. And so I come with this sermon as something that is very near and dear to my heart, as something that Jesus wants to bring freedom in. He doesn't intend for us to live in a constant state of fight or flight. He doesn't intend for us to be in a constant state of worry. He desires for us to know peace. And peace ultimately is him. And so let's dive into the word together. Let's figure out what he has to say about anxiety as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 26. We're going to read the end of Matthew 26, starting in verse 25. It'll be on the screen if you guys don't have a Bible, but I always encourage you guys to bring a Bible if you can and mark it up or highlight it. Make it your own. It's, it's life. Um, so Matthew chapter 6 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food. That may be hard for some of us in this room, but uh, the answer is yes. Uh, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Our Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you have so much to say about something that is very real and relevant in our world and in many of our lives. Lord, we confess tonight that we are people that worry, that are anxious, Lord, and that we also realize that that's not your desire for us. And Lord, help us find what's dis- that disconnect. Lord, help us find how we can begin to start living lives of peace and fulfillment and contentment in you. God, I gladly get out of the way. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and be the one who teaches and transforms and convicts. Jesus, I invite you to bring your freedom. Lord, thank you that who the Son sets free is free indeed. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you talk with um, psychologists, if you've been reading and kind of following up kind of what's happening currently in our culture, you'll notice that anxiety is at an all-time high. Uh, it's climbing faster and faster. It's hitting people younger and younger. My own daughter has struggled with it, and we've walked with her through that. This is something that no one's immune to, that it's becoming more and more prevalent in our culture. And there's a few reasons why uh, people or experts are saying why this has happened, and it has to do a lot with 2001 and 2007. 2001, obviously, is where September 11th happened, where the world that felt so safe all of a sudden was very clearly not um, but probably adding to that, maybe even more influential, is 2007, a lot of things happened. Number one, uh, Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone into our world in June of 2007. That was the first time that there was computers in your pocket, and it became a mass sensation, still is to this day. The same year that Facebook went from an education-based social platform to the greatest social platform in the world. Uh, it's the same year that the Great Recession hit America. And so all of a sudden, you have a brand new world. You have a brand new world that has access to more knowledge than ever before, more instantaneously, and at the same time doesn't really tell you what to do with it. And so we are currently in a massive social experiment of what does it look like to have this type of power in our hands. And it has caused great things to happen, but there have also been some uh, really damaging repercussions. One of them, I believe, is anxiety. Let me just give you a few reasons why I think this. Uh, Number one I mentioned is we have more access to disasters, pain, crime, than ever before from around the world at our fingertips at all times. Never before in human history have we had such a bombardment and a saturation of pain and brokenness in the world. It's just flooding us all, this thing, all the time. 
There's never, it never stops. But if you think of humanity for thousands of years, you might hear bad news every couple of months. We hear it every couple of minutes, every couple of hours. So that's one of the things. The second thing is that really since the Industrial Revolution that has peaked with the Technological Revolution is that we as, as a community have become experts of designing things to help us escape from pain. So our brains are magnificent. God designed them to heal themselves. But what happens is if we don't let them heal is that we begin to start losing its ability. And what's, so what's happened is naturally when things would make us worry, our brain would take some time to calm it down and the right chemicals would be released. But we don't do that anymore. If we feel anxious or stressed, what do we do? We pull this out. This may be the first generation in the entire world that will never understand what it means to be bored. When's the last time you felt bored? Think about it. When's the last time you were just like, man, I have nothing to do? Is there anything that causes anxiety more than being at a place like the DMV when your phone dies? What do you do? That used to be normal. But like we live in a world that has no concept of just even downtime. So if there's ever a moment where it feels like life is just too around, you know what we do? We medicate it instantaneously and get our minds off of it rather than letting the natural process God designed for us to begin to start coping and allowing and understanding his peace to come in that, you know what, God's, God's going to let everything be okay. We're going to survive. We're going to make it. He's going to bring us through. Rather, we're just like, I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to be here. This is the world I'm going to live in now. Uh, just on that, I've been listening to a couple studies on millennials versus the next generation. So 20 and under is not millennials, by the way. It's Gen Y. Uh, millennials grew up with two screens, maybe a TV and a computer. Uh, Gen Y is growing up with five, right? A phone, an iPod, an iPad, a TV, maybe a second computer, laptops around the house. Consequently, the attention span of millennials is 12 seconds, which is the shortest it's ever been. Generation Y, it's eight seconds. And so we're watching our world, literally the brains of humanity, especially within America, are changing rapidly. And because of that, we're seeing, and this is so interesting to me, the more affluent and comfortable a society is, the higher the rate of anxiety is. Why is that? You would think that the more comfortable you'd become, the less you can get rid of stress, but that's not the case. The more you actually lean into it and you find other reasons to be worried and then the last thing I just want to draw attention to culturally is that we have become experts, specifically through social media, of sharing every single thing that really doesn't matter, but we've become incredibly poor at sharing the things that really do. Right? So when it comes to telling someone, hey, I'm really struggling with anxiety right now, it's hard. But telling someone what you had for brunch for like 1,000 people or 200 people, it's easy. And so as a culture, we've become very service level. This is, you can know everything about my life, but the things that are really hurting me are really damaging actually, I don't want to let you know about. And as a result, the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has to say about anxiety really matters. It really matters. What do we do in our world today? What does Jesus have to say about what we are to face. And so there's a couple of amazing and brilliant observations that Jesus makes about anxiety uh, that psychologists are actually confirming thousands of years later, but we find them all right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Lucas, can we put up those five things of what anxiety does? Number one, 
Anxiety rearranges your priorities. You guys can write these down. You can take a picture. We're going to walk through each one of these verse by verse. Second thing, anxiety rots your value. Third, anxiety ravages your ability to be present. Fourth, anxiety robs your imagination. And fifth, anxiety reroutes your purpose. Do you see why this is such a big deal for Jesus? Why for him this has to be just, if you look at the sections on the Sermon on the Mount, the amount he talks about worry and anxiety is maybe one of the largest sections he has. So let's go through these one at a time. So verse starting in verse 25, let's talk about how anxiety rearranges your priorities. Listen to how he starts. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, if you were to tell me about a great list of priorities, feeding yourself and clothing yourself sound like pretty good priorities to me. But for Jesus, they're not. Your your anxiousness makes your priorities distorted. Your anxiousness makes the things that aren't important seem important, but the things that God says are important don't become that important to you. Do you see how that works? When worry sets in, you make fear decisions, not faith decisions. When anxiety sets in, you start making comparing decisions rather than contentment decisions. Because it does something to your priorities. Because inevitably, anxiety in and of itself starts turning your eyes inwards and you start developing something called self-preservation. So your priorities are all about how to preserve yourself, which doesn't work in the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, like Evan talked about last year, it is about lowering yourself and, and, and making yourself lower so that you can actually glorify God and lift up other people, right? It's disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of others. So when all of a sudden your whole life is consumed with protecting yourself and advantaging yourself, the kingdom of God's priorities and your priorities flip. So even things as simple, these aren't like, and you really wanted that, that new um, Jewish robe, I saw you looking at that. No, no, no. It's like you want to eat and clothe yourselves, but you are worrying about it in the wrong priorities. He doesn't say they're bad, by the way. He says, I'm going to, later in the verse, he says, I'll take care of that. Those aren't bad things to want, but they're in the wrong priorities. If you struggle with anxiety, inevitably the things that consume your time, energy, and emotion are things that may be important, but not the most important. The second thing he talks about is anxiety rots your value. This is so huge. Anxiety rots your value. Our family's moving on Tuesday. And when when you move, it's kind of fun because you get to like clean up and pack everything up and see what you have and get rid of stuff and things like that. But there's also the scary part where you don't know what you're going to find. You guys know what I'm talking about, especially if you have small kids? Like there was this, I'm cleaning out the closet where we keep our backpacks and and uh, my son loves to walk around in the oranges, not to eat, but to throw at things and throw at people. And so I found one of the oranges that wasn't orange anymore, tucked back in this closet that Augustine had put there God knows how long ago. And it had just become gross. This thing that used to be beautiful and tasty became something I didn't want to touch. So I made uh, my kids clean it up. <laughs> just kidding, gosh. But that's exactly what happens with our values. When anxiety sets in, the longer anxiety stays, the more our value in God rots. 
turns colors and it changes what it should be. And this is why it's such a big deal for Jesus to deal with this. Because you have to deal with this. Verse 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look, look at everything that's going on around you. Are you not much more, what, valuable than they? See, for Jesus, this is a value problem. Anxiety is not a mental health problem. It's an intimacy problem. Do you know how much you are loved by God? Josh Kelsey, who's a pastor at C3 Brooklyn, says it like this. If you are in worry, you are ignorant of God's love. If there's something that is connected with your understanding of how much God loves you, with the ability to release the worries that you believe you're protecting yourself with, that, that night after the raccoon attack in the backyard, I'm laying with Vienna. She's crying and asking me why God created raccoons. And my conversation with her went like this. And she's thinking, like, are raccoons going to get into our house? And you know what she's doing? She's dealing with anxiety, a four-year-old's anxiety. My conversation is not like, listen, listen, Vienna, we have locks on our doors. We have windows. You're fine. No, no, no. My conversation is, dad's right here. I would never let something happen to you like that. Don't you trust me, Vienna? It's, it, this, this isn't like a door, wall, window conversation. This is a father-daughter conversation. You see, anxiety makes us think, okay, well, what's the safety procedures and the mechanisms to make sure that nothing bad's going to happen? And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. Look at the world and how I take care of it. You're much more valuable than that. I care about you. Somebody here tonight needs to hear that and that alone. God loves you. And why this is important is because perfect love drives out fear. You can't read a book, go to a seminar. You can't go to a counselor that can convince you of this very profound fact that if you can get how much God loves you, it is the most powerful weapon against fear. And that's why anxiety rots that value. If it sits there long enough, it starts to change your idea of what you think God says and thinks about who you are. Psalm 139 says this, How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. When's the last time you imagined God's posture and thoughts towards you and you're like, man, God thinks I'm awesome. Because that's what it says. Precious are your thoughts towards me. How vast is the sum of them, more than the sand on the seashore. God's obsessed with you. I don't know, but again, I say that in all humility because that's not my first reaction when I think, I wonder what God's thinking about my life right now. He must think I'm amazing. He must be like, gosh, Benji's awesome. Jeez. No, it's most of the time I'm like, Probably think I need to fix that, stop doing that, change that, jump higher, run faster, PF flyers on my spirit. Like, I need to just be a better person. That's not what Scripture says. It says, no, no, no. It's precious. The thoughts that he has toward you, the value he has for you, and I love it. He proved it. I don't have to prove it to you. He proved it to you. Number three. Why anxiety is, is such a big deal to Jesus is because anxiety ravages your ability to be present. Isn't it? If anyone struggles with anxiety, how true is this? It just robs your ability to be present. 
In verse 27, it says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And you're like, well, that's a silly question. Unless you've struggled with anxiety like I have, that's exactly what you're trying to do when you're anxious. You know what you're trying to do? You're trying to add hours to your life. What are you trying to do? Protect yourself. When Jen's dad passed away a few years ago and she went into deep depression, I went into trying like everything right and okay and I didn't really deal with any of it and because of the stress of that and some other things, a few months later I had my first anxiety attack and it was like hell on earth. I'm like, what is happening to me? I never had one before. A couple weeks later, another one. A couple weeks later, another one. And they were so bad and so severe that I started having anxiety, chronic anxiety because I didn't want to have another anxiety attack. Isn't that funny? My therapist called it anticipatory anxiety. So I thought that by being anxious, I would prevent myself from being anxious. I, I, and that's what, in my mind, subconsciously, that's what I thought I'm doing. I'm like, well, if I just think about it enough, if I analyze it enough, if I'm always thinking about it, then it won't, I won't have any more anxiety attacks. And the, and the anxiety, the low-grade current of anxiety that I had was even worse than the attacks. And I'm sitting there with my Christian counselor, and he looks at me, and he says, so let me get this straight. You think that by worrying about this, you're going to prevent one of these from happening. And I was like, yeah. He's like, how is that working for you? I said, it's, it's not. It's not working at all. This is exactly what Jesus says. Do you think this is going to work? Do you think anxiety works? Can I just tell you right now, church? Anxiety is a liar. Anxiety promises you that it will make you safer and more peaceful, and it never delivers. Jesus always delivers. But yet again and again, we fall into this trap of thinking that maybe, just, just maybe, that, that, that this, will, this will help. And this, is, and this is why this anxiety is so dangerous is because what's happening in your brain neurologically is as you're being anxious, your, body's, your mind is running on adrenaline. The, the very chemical God gave you to help run away from an animal that's chasing you, to help win a war, to help lift a tree off of your friend. I mean, these are just examples. This is why God gave you the gift of adrenaline. But when you run on it a long time, what happens is your brain stops producing the chemicals that are supposed to make you have endurance and peace, and those shut down. And what happens is once adrenaline runs out, immediately what happens after anxiety is depression and apathy. You cared so much, you cared about the wrong things for so long that you just frankly stopped caring at all. I've... This isn't stuff I'm making. I, I know dozens of people. This is their pattern. Anxiety and depression is why they always go hand in hand. And this is why Jesus is so adamant and says, listen, this isn't what I have for you. And we'll talk in a minute what he, what he says to do about it. Let's go to the fourth one. Anxiety robs your imagination. Verse 28 says, and why do you worry about clothes? And I want you to focus on this next verse. It says, see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, in Galilee, on this mountain, are there flowers growing nearby? Probably not. They're in a desert. 
So what Jesus is asking them to do is use their imagination. When he says see, he's, not, he's probably not saying, look at this flower bed that we're all standing in. No, no, no. Have you ever been to Galilee before? It's, it's not like the flower gardens in Carlsbad, right? He's saying, imagine. You all have seen them before. Think about those flowers. And the word see is this Greek word, actually the combination of two Greek words that is incredibly powerful and passionate. It's this Greek word kata, which means to come down and get close, and menthano, which means to lean in and observe, right? It is using see something so vividly. It's not in front of you, but use your imagination so vividly it overcomes you. And so what God is saying is anxiety takes your imagination and it robs it and uses it for something like fear. Rather, he says, use your imagination to think about how good I am. Think about, go to the ocean and see my vastness, right? Go to the mountains and see my creative beauty. Go to coffee with a friend and see the intricacy of their personality. Use your imagination that I gave you to fuel how you understand God's goodness rather than using your imagination to convince you that everything in the world is going to go wrong. The same pastor, Josh Kelsey, says this, worry is a misuse of imagination. Love that definition. Worry is a misuse of our imagination. All of us have them, some of us more than others. And chances are, if you have an active imagination, you may struggle with anxiety more. It's why, it's, and your imagination is not a curse, it's a gift, but you have to use your imagination to think about things that are good, pure, and lovely. After first service, my wife came up and shared this verse. It wasn't in my notes, but it really should have been. I just want to read this to you. This is in Philippians chapter, chapter 4. Because it tells you about your imagination, talks to you about this is what you should do, this is what you should be thinking about. I mean, as you turn to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, right? How many of you guys try and use your understanding to get free from fear? It says, but I'm going to give you a peace of God that surpasses your understanding. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is in, in any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, I love it. One thing Jen said is, it's not like God's just telling you to get rid of anxiety. He's telling you what to fill your imagination with. Things that are pure and lovely and admirable. It's about what you fuel in your mind. It's about engaging in prayer rather than worry. And the fifth one is this. Anxiety reroutes your purpose. This is maybe one of the most scary of all. This is why Jesus ends this section by saying this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you as well. Because when we entertain and have anxiety for a long time, our purpose changes from being a selfless gift to the world to give out the love of Jesus to become someone who is internally focused to guard and to protect ourselves. It reroutes your purpose. You see, we think that like Satan's job is to get us to go and like 
do drugs or go clubbing or to go and have this. I, I just think that Satan uses anxiety and fear just to reroute your purpose. I don't think he cares so much if you're doing this or that or the bad things. He's just saying, just don't, be, just don't be useful for the kingdom of God. That's exactly what anxiety does. It reroutes us. But, the, but in that, Jesus also gives us the antidote, which we're going to talk about here in just a second, the power of seeking. The power of seeking is one of the ways that anxiety becomes, gets rid of, or we get rid of anxiety in our lives, is by what we pursue, what our purpose is, what we seek. But before I talk about this, I just want to just tell you something that's really cool, something that really helped me. At this point in the message, we could just be like, cool, thanks, Jesus, easy for you to say, you're God. You have a fear of storms, you can calm them. Awesome, must be nice to be you. Of course you're not anxious. You created the universe. Like, I'm just me. Do you know that Jesus struggled with anxious moments? And someone needs to hear this tonight. God gets anxiety. God, Jesus, in his life, as he's fully God, yet fully human. Let me read this to you in Luke 22, right before Jesus goes to the cross. Let's start in verse 42. This is in the garden he's praying. In verse 42, he says this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. We, we've, we had a sermon a few months back talking about what the cup represented. represented the wrath of God that he was about to have poured out upon him so you wouldn't have to, right? So he's not just fearing the nails and the whipping and the shame. He's fearing this judgment that is about to come on him to the point where it says this in the next verse. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus gets it. Some would even call this a, a certain level of an anxiety attack, right? So profoundly overwhelmed by the weight of what's about to happen to him that he finds himself weakened, sweating to the point of it's like blood. This is the same Jesus that looks at you with love in his eyes and says, don't be anxious about your life. He gets it. But just because Jesus was anxious doesn't mean that he went as far as to living in that. And this is where Jesus, he understands it, but he also understands the freedom that can happen through it. I, for one, if this is any encouragement to you, as someone who struggled with anxiety for like two years straight, I can stand here a couple years later saying, there's freedom. You don't live your entire life. You don't have to live your entire life in anxiety. And yes, it's a journey, and yes, it's a process, but if you continue to seek first his kingdom and continue to let him into those spaces, the peace that he can give you, however he does that, it'll look different for each person, is real and it's available for you. What you seek matters. So just practically, if we look at these things again, we'll begin to start seeing what Jesus does here. But it begins with us making a decision tonight. And I remember this happening to me, and this is huge. 
I remember at a really low moment for me as I just felt crippled by anxiety. I didn't want to drive. I didn't want to speak. I, I, I had anxiety when I'd preach. I remember there came this moment where I literally said, Lord, even if I have anxiety the rest of my life, help me love people well. Even if every time I preach, I feel like I'm going to throw up, help me preach your word with passion. Even if it's hard for me to get out of bed, let me get out of bed so I can go show someone the compassionate love of Jesus. And it's at this moment where it wasn't about me getting rid of anxiety, it was about me just seeking God's kingdom. I'm like, even if I have anxiety, I'm seeking your kingdom. I'm not going to let this rob me of my purpose. And to this day, that's been my prayer. There's highs and lows. There's moments where I feel overwhelmed and moments I feel on top of the world. But my prayer does not change. I want your kingdom to come. I want your righteousness to come in this world through the broken vessel that is myself. This human decaying body that has mental and emotional and physical health problems and will for the rest of his life. Use me in my weakness so that your power would be made perfect. It is not about me being perfect or powerful. It is about Christ being perfect and powerful in the midst of my weakness, even if that's anxiety. And as I choose to press into seeking his kingdom are the moments where I begin to start forgetting the anxiety at all. And that's my hope and desire tonight is what would happen? What would happen if we just let Jesus into those moments? So I want to show you just a reminder of what anxiety can do, right? Anxiety rearranges your priorities, it rots your value, it ravages your present reality, it robs your imagination, it reroutes your purpose. But listen, in seeking God's kingdom, this is what Jesus does. Jesus restores your priorities. Jesus proves your value. Jesus brings life to your present, redemption to your past, and hope to your future. Jesus revitalizes your imagination, and Jesus invites you into his eternal purpose. How good is God? He doesn't just say, stop being anxious. No, no, no. He enters into every single one of the symptoms of anxiety and redeems it. Through his presence, through the work of the cross. This is what we want to do right now. Brent, I'm going to have you come out and um, just play piano. We're just going to have a, a moment of prayer. We're going to walk through these things. First service was powerful. We just got to deal with some really significant and important things. I think that there's a reason why you're here tonight. It's not because your friend invited you, and it's not even because you chose to come. Maybe it's because God desired to meet with you tonight and bring new faith and new freedom to your soul. Would you guys just bow your heads with me?